Hey, thanks for joining me for another episode of Life and Health Matters with Dr. Shakib, and this is your host, Momak Shakib. This episode has to do with pain, all there is to know about pain. What causes it? What does it serve us? Why some people experience pain more than others? What do we need to do to get rid of it? And pretty much all that there is to know when it comes to pain. It's a great motivator for sure. People commit to things that um, would otherwise not even consider. And frankly, when pain goes away, the priority shifts and all the things that they started doing when the pain was present kind of goes down the toilet. I hope that's not the case with you, but that's typically what I see. At any rate, I hope that you enjoy the show. Don't forget to leave a rating, share and subscribe to the podcast and direct all of your questions and comments via email to me, drspodcastshow at gmail.com. I'll make sure I put the information in the show notes. So with no further ado, here's another episode of Life and Health Matters with Dr. Shakib. So let's talk about pain. It's the biggest motivation. It lets people pay attention to the things that cause it to begin with. It's no fun because it keeps us away from doing the things we enjoy doing. And in preparing for this podcast, I came across some really interesting statistics. For example, the biggest thing is that workers on average lose about 4.6 hours per week of productive time because of pain, and that's regardless of age. Unfortunately, in my practice, I do see much, much younger people than I used to see with problems that I used to see in older generations. So it's really not age-specific. According to American Academy of Pain Medicine, it impacts Americans uh, uh, more than uh, the ones with... uh, Diabetes, heart disease, and cancer combined, it costs over $60 billion, driven by our aging population, lifestyle trends, increasing frequent surgical procedures, and chronic illnesses, such as arthritis and cancer. Out of all different kinds of pain, lower back pain is the leading cause of pain in the U.S., according to NIH, National Institute of Health followed by headaches and migraines, neck pain, and facial pain. So with the exception of facial pain, we can say very comfortably that everything else determined by NIH as the leading cause of pain are all musculoskeletal, which means directly related to your lifestyle. A whole different subject. I've done other podcasts on it. I will be doing more podcasts on this later on. But let's not digress and move on. Uh, Back pain is the leading cause of disability worldwide. So globally speaking, 1.5 billion people suffer from chronic pain. About 3 to 4.5% of world's population suffers from neuropathic pain, pain due to nerve issues, which obviously uh, it's an incident that at this point increases with age, I suspect that before long, it is not going to be age-related. And the reason for that is because we have a sedentary lifestyle, which 
absolutely contributes negatively to our health because instead of things, joints, soft tissue, your nerves are, uh, are also soft tissue, all of your soft tissue, all of your whole body, instead of it moving and having flexibility and stretchability, uh, we are compressing our joints, ligaments, and all the uh, other soft tissues, including our internal organs. And as a result of this compression, uh, we are irritating everything, including uh, the nerves. Pretty sad situation. So um, in people with chronic pain, the pain signals fire excessively. You know, we have a saying, what, uh, what works together fires together. So imagine you've got a conduit, you have like a, a tube with all these wires going through. So as the, these wires, this is an example I give to my patients too, which is um, if your nerves are basically representing the tracks going from your brain to your body parts and they all go through the same cable, if one of those wires is continuously overfiring or firing, it impacts the surrounding wires. And that is a huge thing when it comes to pain management. We'll get to that. But pain signals fire excessively, causing major issues with the nervous system, which it amplifies the signals of the nerves going through. This actually impacts the brain negatively. It's very damaging uh, structurally and chemically. It impacts the brain. Brain scans essentially show that people with chronic pain end up having a significant loss of gray matter in the uh, prefrontal cortex, in the front of their brain. So geneticists believe that DNA explains how people experience pain differently. But wait, don't think that, oh, well, I've got the bad genes or I've got the good genes because that's not it. Psychologists believe that experience, um, those of you that experience pain as adults, or actually having a childhood experience early on um, when it comes to the belief and perceptions about pain. So from my own personal experience, I can 100% tell you that how you perceive pain makes a huge difference. When I had my, uh, when I got pregnant and I had my second child, I did what was called hypnobirth. With hypnobirth, you basically, you know, it, was, it came with like the whole spiel of listen to this and imagine this and that, which I didn't imagine what the, the instruction was. At that time, it was a CD that I would play and I would listen to it and it would instruct you to imagine certain things. Long story short, I didn't do that, but I used the concept and formed it um, the way I could connect. And it's all about that. Uh, all of these ideas are meant to give you suggestions and um, give you a heads up. So you should make it your own version if it works better for you. That works better for me. So instead of, uh, let's say, imagining, imagining strawberry mist, which was what the CD was suggesting I do at the time of contraction, I was imagining the vertical fibers of the uterus 
expanding and with another contraction I'd imagine with a breathing in and out so I was synchronizing my breathing with my imagination as this contraction labor contractions were coming on so the point of it is at the end everyone thought I was sleeping which I wasn't and it 100% diminished the amount of pain compared to the previous pregnancy. And it had nothing to do with, well, this was a second child. The, the difference between the second and first um, childbirth is actually the length of time it takes to give birth. The pain is as bad. Um, ask anyone who's had multiple pregnancies and they'll tell you that um, the pain is <laughs> severe. So... What happened in the second childbirth for me was associating visual input that I actually could connect to breathing, which is essential in managing life, not just pain, managing life, as something painful was about to happen and that's what this research was all about and I'm going to go on and we'll actually talk about a study that was done in Duke's University so bottom line here is how we perceive pain how we associate pain with even different visual stimuli how we think about pain all of those play a role in how intense the level of pain is so is it the geneticists that are right or the psychologists and the answer is all of the above they've actually found a mutation in one of the genes that actually uh, regulates sodium channels um, as responsible for congenital insensitivity to pain uh, so um, there is this other mutation in the same gene that causes what's called paroxysmal extreme pain disorder so you can it's a gene that regulates sodium channels it gave the name i didn't care for the name it was just a bunch of letters and numbers as far as i was concerned but so that same gene can be responsible for insensitivity to pain but then a mutation in that actually causes extreme pain where the pain signals are actually super amplified. So the key life experience is as important as the gene. It's not just the genes or, you know, some people have more pain than others. There's multiple factors involved. Um, so there was a study that was done in 2005 that showed women have 34 nerve fibers per square centimeter of facial skin compared to men, which was 17. So there is a gender difference too, which, you know, um, we all know the, we meaning, uh, healthcare professionals there are more women than men, um, in our offices, not because they're wusses, but because they perceive pain more every pain experience activates different parts of our brain creating its own neural signature so activates pain activates a certain part of the brain has its own way of 
nerve management, which is quite interesting. And this determines how much something hurts. Emotions play a key role in pain perception, including anxiety, happiness, and sadness. We all know that. I mean, we have these things in our in our vocabulary, in our languages. We say what? Calm down. You're going to have a heart attack. So-and-so died of heartache. We say so-and-so worried so much, they ended up with an ulcer. I mean, these things we are already in our language, and yet we disregard them. We're too busy running. We totally miss the scenery here. Emotional pain activates the same pathways in our brain as physical pain. So at Duke University, this is quite interesting, which they manage, uh, you know, burn victims. Burn victims, it's a, it's a horrible situation because the person is burned. They actually have to scrape the tissue, which is extremely painful, in order to stimulate the, the tissue production. So the area is burned, which hurts like hell. You have to, they have to go scrape it pretty much on a daily basis to stimulate the healthy tissue to produce more. And I mean, that's just essentially oversimplified. So these people suffer from a lot of pain and just looking at their equipments and the tools they use to do their treatment gives them pain. So at Duke's University, what they did, which was quite interesting, what they did was instead of, um, they started showing these fun videos. um, And as a result of that, when they were doing the treatment, they were not the patients were not so occupied by the tools that were used. They were being distracted. The brain was being distracted um, by the show that they were watching, some snow show or something. I can't remember what it was, but um, that's what it was. And they ended up um, perceiving about 50% less pain than they would have otherwise, which was a, a, it was a wonderful Uh, thing that happened. So then we already know these facts about pain. We already know that there are multiple things that impact how intense they are. So then the question is, how are we managing them? Unfortunately, in med schools, um, there is not so much focus on the natural pain management as much as how to prescribe pain medication. Quite interesting um, statistics here that I want to read here. According to CDC, prescription painkiller overdoses killed nearly 15,000 Americans in 2008, three times more than in 1999. Middle-aged adults have the highest prescription overdose rates. At this point, unfortunately, um, kids are abusing drugs as well. In 2010, there were four times more deaths among women for prescription painkiller overdose than for cocaine and heroin deaths combined. Long-term use of painkillers increase your risk of depression. And the way it works is these drugs 
reset the brain's reward pathway. So people are not as easily satisfied and that we're talking about jacking up the hormones here, the happy hormones, serotonin, as they're, they're known, it really impacts how the reward pathway in the brain ends up working. And so these people um, have a difficult time experiencing pleasure from natural rewards that they would have otherwise. 77% of chronic pain sufferers who take opioid painkillers report symptoms of depression. 86% report inability to sleep well, as well as other impairments to their quality of life. Of course, there are other drugs for these things. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's horrible. These statistics are amazing. NSAIDs, which are basically non-steroidal, are among the most widely used painkillers and in U.S. more than 70 million prescriptions are written each year. They're estimated 107,000 patients hospitalized from the adverse effects of NSAIDs, which are gastrointestinal complications. So this is interesting because one of the ways the body deals with pain and with health in general, forget about pain, with health, is boosting the immune system. Instead of running away from issues, if we make our body stronger, the body will actually defend itself. The most amount of happy hormones are actually in your gut. That's your serotonin. Your probiotics, which absolutely support your immune systems, are in your intestinal tract. And then we're taking all these meds that actually adversely disable us. It's horrible. So remember I was telling you about the distraction of the brain, visual distraction of the brain, uh, so your, your pain diminishes. Well, in Seattle Harbor View Medical Center, they did the very thing that I was telling you about with the pain, with the burn uh, uh, victims. Uh, the word is, um, what they did was called Snow World. They engaged um, a video game called Snow World. And that's how their brain started wandering off. And, and they showed that when that happened, an opiate-rich region of the brain was stimulated, resulting in pain suppression. Isn't that interesting? So, you're, you know, you, you do have opioid-based substances produced by your brain. Endorphin and Keflon are great examples of that. They're, they're opiate-based. They're opium-based. So when they were distracting the, bo- the brain, playing that game Snow World, they realized that the opiate-rich region of the brain was stimulated, so it was releasing tranquilizers. Quite interesting. So my suggestion, you know, when we meditate... Um, we actually concentrate on our breathing. There is such thing as 
theta healing, where it's a guided visualization sort of thing. So the, the example I gave you was more of a guided visualization, which is a distraction of the brain from anticipating pain or dealing with pain to something else. And by incorporating that vision, that visual stimulation in a direction that helps you, that you can connect to. So sometimes, you know, it's not like a contraction that you feel, okay, it's coming, so now I'm going to visual this and that. It's more of a, when the pain comes, you envision something that you enjoy doing and you're just really paying close attention to the details of this visual um, picture that you have in your head. Uh, of course, you know, this doesn't mean that you ignore pain because you need to find out why you have pain. That's, that's important. Ignoring it is not solving the problem. Taking something to make it go away does not solve the problem. These are all the different things, the purpose of doing this episode is for you to see that running into uh, some drugstore to try to get over-the-counter medication, even the, um, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, are not going to be helping you. So if you stay with the natural way of doing, of living life, which never included us having sedentary lifestyle, never included us having processed food, never included us having lack of sleep and stressing over crap that really is not worth giving attention to. All of these are the things that deviate us from the, the natural way of living. Anyway, another thing that they found out, this was uh, quite interesting. I've been hearing that quite a bit is what's called TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's expensive at this point, but what they do is they actually create a, um, they stimulate, it's a low frequency pulsation right at the top of the head. And it stimulates it into um, really making that brain kind of shut off it goes into kind of a sleeping mode, so to speak. The TMS does that. It's more of a relaxation thing that puts you into um, sleep. And they've found that this is useful in treating depression, um, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, Parkinson's disease, things like that. So at this point, that's what, what it is. Um, it's a little bit expensive treatment. So my alternative uh, to that is what I came across as um, it was something that the military did. And military comes up with great experiments. I really enjoy um, learning about them. It's actually called Somnio Sleep Trainer. And it's a mask that screens out basically all the sounds and all the visual distractions. It warms um, the area around the eyes and really relaxes the person. It has blue light that gradually brightens as, um, you know, it's time to get up. So what they found out is about 20 minute nap really, really helps the body. So it's all about naturally supporting the body, 
so we not only live better and pain-free, but we're actually doing something good for ourselves. So in today's society where we don't even nap and we're not even conditioned to nap, we don't even crave for it. You know, there are parts of the world that they have CS that they actually take a nap in the middle of the day, which is so helpful. But anyway, military was using that to basically restore fatigued muscles and replenish alertness in um, the servicemen there. But this was a great thing for us to do. And really, um, if, if you're able to take a 20-minute nap, so it's your lunchtime, you eat your lunch, go into your car if you don't have a rest, resting area at your work, and just cover your eyes and just calm down. Don't look at your phone, but go into the car um, if need be. Cover your eyes and um, make it nice and warm. That's very uh, helpful in really relaxing you. Dietarily speaking, there are different things that many of you may be aware of. I have it listed. Um, Some of them are supplements. Some of them are herbs. Um, The first one is an anti-inflammatory. It's a fat-soluble, not anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, which basically is anti-inflammatory. Astaxanthin is uh, the name, and and high doses, like 8 milligram a day, is what their um, studies show to be beneficial. So it's actually a pill you can take. Then there is ginger, which all of us know about. You can um, either grate it, and add it to your vegetable juice or um, basically thin slivers of it and make tea. Just pour hot water over it, let it simmer a little bit. Uh, curcumin, which uh, is heavily used in osteoarthritis, which causes a lot of pain. It's an herb that uh, or spice that is used heavily in Middle East. Mm, um, they don't talk about this. But other studies show that with curcumin, you should take it with fat. So, um, you know, just taking it by itself is one thing. But if you take it with something fatty, uh, that's even better. Uh, When I do the cooking, I always add it to um, the things that I'm sauteing. Boswellia is is an Indian herb. Uh, that is very much, I see it across the board as an anti-inflammatory agent. Krill oil, um, which has um, a lot of omega-3 fatty acid, EPA and DHA. Uh, It's a great anti-inflammatory. The reason krill oil is uh, better than um, fish oil is because krill is actually very small and it lives a short life. So it's really, it's a contamination issue. Uh, as well. Uh, you know, unfortunately, our waters are contaminated. So if something is small and lives a short life, um, it's not, it doesn't get a chance to be contaminated as much. Then we've got bromelain, which is an enzyme found in pineapples. It's an anti-inflammatory and really beneficial. Then there is this thing called CMO. Um, I can't remember what that stands for. But it's an oil that's found in fish and dairy butter. 
and it's a great joint lubricant and anti-inflammatory. Evening primrose, blackcurrant, and borage oils are essential fatty acids uh, uh, called GLA or gamma-linoleic acid, which is great in arthritic pain. These are all great things you can find. You can find the capsules or tablets there. And then you've got capsaicin, which is a um, from um, hot peppers. It's a pain relief and anti-inflammatory, has substance P, which is a chemical component of the pain signals the nerves transmit to the brain. It supplies the substance P. So um, these are all the different nutritional things that can be used. But remember, when it comes to pain or health, disease or health, there are three components. The actual structure that we're talking about. So let's say if we have pain in our back, it's an actual lower back area. Now it could be a pain coming from a different part of your skeletal system or even at times, sometimes pain from internal organs, like for example, in the higher part, in the lower part of your mid back or the higher end of the lower back, around the lower part of the rib cage in the back is where the kidneys are. So kidneys can cause back pain so that back pain is actually from a visceral component, which is the actual structure. So essentially, going back, we have three components. One is an actual structure. The other one is emotions attached and nutritional support. So the body needs uh, coenzymes, cofactors, vitamins. It needs nutrients to really make the biochemical changes necessary to facilitate uh, its function. So if we're lacking that, then obviously the function is compromised and we end up with pains. Remember, 4% of the messages going to the brain convey pain. And pain is not associated with every bad condition. Think about it. Diabetes doesn't come with pain until much later when there is, let's say, diabetic neuropathy or when there is a loss of vision or things like that. There's um, With high blood pressure, there's no pain associated. So don't make the mistake of associating pain as the presence of disease and lack of pain as the absence of disease. So I always say, you know, going with pain as a gauge for health is like saying, would you like to be happy or just not sad? Would you like to be alive or just not dead? So shooting for no pain does not assure health is what I'm trying to say. These days, you know, we're so busy thinking about these things are just like exhausting. And frankly, it's very, very... Um, disappointing when at the end of the day you have to make your own um, decision as to what direction of life you need to take how to live your life it used to be that you had an issue you'd go to a doctor and the doctor would take care of it well today we know better that you are in charge of your own life and there are too many 
<laughs> too many factors playing, play, bleh, playing a role in the recommendations we get when it comes to our health or lack of. So when a specific industry runs the information, then that industry makes sure that the information provided will benefit that specific industry. So we got to keep that in mind. Use the internet to your advantage. Use it to educate yourself. Of course, you find crap on the internet also, but do your research and, you know, connect to people who do their research. It's it's brainstorming things and really being part of a community plays a huge, huge role in how we end up living. At any rate, I hope that you found this episode um, valuable. Um, you better appreciate what pain is all about. At the end of the day, pain comes as a result of inflammation and inflammation, believe it or not, is not bad because inflammation has, it comes as a result of inflammatory chemicals that exist in your blood as a result of some issue going on. So when the pain, when those inflammatory chemicals are there, you get the pain, which signals a whole bunch of other things. Like there's a, a, an influx of blood flow to the area, to oxygenate area, to bring all the nutrients to it, assuming you have the nutrients necessary to repair and that you have a nice strong immune system to actually do whatever is needed to take care of the issue. So it actually, those inflammatory chemicals that cause pain actually are serving you well. But then the issue comes when it's long-term, the issue comes where we freak out over the slightest amount of pain and the issue comes where we try to dodge the pain and we go to a shelter called drugs medication that now we get hooked on those drugs and getting off those drugs become another source of uh, issue and stress. It's a cycle that, it's a circle, it's a cycle that you choose to enter or you choose to not enter. So if you choose to not enter that cycle of events, what is it that you need to do to prevent it? Once again, it goes back to the word that insurance industry hates, which is prevention. <laughs> they don't pay for your preventative care they pay for your sick care and the sick care is just mediocre at best they pay for your surgeries but they don't pay for what it takes to not get to the surgical level they'll just focus on pain and the moment pain drops they start calling it not medically necessary to dodge the payment anyway that's probably another episode <laughs> <laughs> and another podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this and um, please make sure that you direct your questions via email drspodcastshow at gmail.com. And thanks for joining me. See you next week with another episode of Life and Health Matters with Dr. Shakib. <laughs>